0: it's Mary and it's April what's been going on in the world of true crime this week
1: we talked about the tragic poisoning of those people in Orange County and there's been a small development but a good one in that they've definitely charged um, the perp is that to uh, law and order the perp the perpetrator
0: <laughs> um, but go Olivia Benson on me that's all I want
1: oh if you be my stabler oh.
0: Is he still getting that spin-off? and what's happening and can I watch it now? I
1: want it so bad. Um, yeah, so far I've only, we've seen a cryptic, cryptic tweet
0: from him. That's all
1: I've heard. I want to
0: see that. him running through sprinklers on a hot New York day. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Netflix, get on that, that's all I need.
1: I want to see him being tortured and muscly,
0: <laughs> but yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not quite on the same page there. Um,
0: I you got so quickly as if this was not the first time this thought had occurred to you. Oh, goodness no.
1: Um, Stabler is my hero. Uh, but also my hero is Olivia Benson. She's cool too, for different reasons. Um Okay, so they charged the guy. I won't say his name on this cast, but um they charged him with the eight felony counts of poisoning. And they discovered through uh, talking to him that he did it for one of those like spicy challenges. He was going to do an internet type spicy challenge. So. It was for like YouTube. Yeah. And there's some, a little bit of endangering a minor type charges. But they, of course, they won't say who the minor is or anything like that. But it makes it sound like maybe he had a young friend with him.
0: Oh Um, my gosh yeah or like his kids or something
1: oh i hope not that would be
0: yeah because there's been several kind of scandals around like they have prank videos on their own children and they go pretty far in terms of like the pranks uh into like abuse territory
1: yeah we saw that trend happening it seems to have died down luckily but i hope this isn't a reprieve um of things to come so but i thought that was an interesting development that we Get some motive behind why this heinous crime occurred.
0: I hope uh, with all my heart that it wasn't his own child, as I feel like nothing good can happen to you if, you know, one of your major found foundational childhood memories is you and your dad going out together to poison homeless people. Right. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> Sorry, that's that does
1: not bode well.
0: No, I mean, that's classic, like making a murderer territory.
1: <laughs> um, they did also say, you know, there were some additional counts around uh, driving while intoxicated, maybe marijuana and alcohol were involved as well. So. Get
0: high and eat a ton of Cheetos and watch Stabler running around in SUV. SUV? S for you. Absolutely. Not do hot and spicy challenges on unsuspecting yeah. people, <laughs> particularly homeless people who just want to have something to eat. Don't take your minor children along with you. <laughs> Actually, whenever you're committing felony, words. Good advice. don't take minor children along with you. Very, uh, very, very bad for them. And for you, in terms of charges, that's just extra charges. If you can help it, yes. We should get on that How to Commit right. Felonies podcast.
1: Yeah. Oh, good idea. <laughs> I feel like we have a lot to say about it. Maybe we could get Stabler to uh, be a special guest correspondent.
0: <laughs> uh, this is like when we try and pitch uh, either video games or movies with just people that we want to see in them. The other major piece of true crime news this week was uh, a really a difficult one and a sad one. You may have been following the uh, cult mom, uh, Laurie Vallow, who, <sighs> like, we, sh- we could do a thousand episodes on just the the intrigue and the suspicious deaths and and everything associated um, but searching her and her ex-husband's property um, they identified human remains which seemed to be the uh, her missing children um, and so obviously we'll be finding out some more uh, as that story starts to unfold but a really kind of tragic and terrible conclusion well also according to Lori valley we've only got another what 13 days or so before the world ends isn't it when does it when does the world end according to Lori valley it's july isn't it which would be a bit annoying because i've got stuff planned for my birthday uh but other than that yeah i know i think july's a really good we'll time time for the world to end um i feel like i'll be in summer clothes and then I don't know what ghost rules are, but it seems like you have to wear the clothes you die in as a ghost. And I don't want to die in summer outfits. Who want to die in flip flops? Well, I mean, I wouldn't be wearing flip flops, but I, at the same time, I just, I just don't want to look like unfashionably hot for the for eternity.
1: Fair enough. And you know, you don't see a lot of ghosts that come out the summer,
0: right? Exactly. Because I'm going to be out at night. And it's going to be cold, and I'll look ridiculous as a ghost in like a maxi dress with some sunglasses on.
1: <laughs> I second that. I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. I feel like there's a whole lot of crazy going on here, and that we've only heard or found out some of it.
0: Absolutely, and it's shameful to be so darkly fascinated by Laurie Vallo. But yeah, you know, as a mother myself, I just cannot imagine what could drive you to to do this and lie about it for so long and, you know, really try and cover your tracks because you clearly wanted to get away with it. Um, And obviously we don't know right now that, you know, Laurie knew or was involved, but I don't know. There's a lot
1: of suspicious circumstances in this story.
0: Absolutely. It's like, we don't know that you did it, Laurie, but uh, uh, all signs point to you uh, being a world famous shitbag. Cool. So, this is a super treat because it's an April episode.
1: (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. We'll let everybody decide for themselves
0: no idea what's going on, which as, you know, a very controlling personality type, I hate myself, but, you know, everyone has a thing. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen next, and I'm really excited.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you the story about the McDonald family, and um, unfortunately this one also includes uh, a family uh, of chil- that includes children. So I'm going to tell you the story about the McDonald family, and it does include children. I um, tried to soften the goriest of details, but we're going to get into some pretty dark stuff here.
0: Are we ready? I'm forever not ready. So,
1: (laughs) Okay, so very early in the morning hours, uh, February 17th in 1970, so we're talking like 3, 4 a.m., Military police responded to an emergency call at the McDonald family house. Uh, They were living at Fort Bragg uh, on the base. That's uh, the one in North Carolina. There, the police discovered the bodies of Colette McDonald and her two daughters, Kimberly, who's five, and Kristen, who's two. Uh, The victims had been beaten and stabbed. They were found in their bedrooms. Um, They would also find one survivor, the husband, the father, Jeffrey McDonald.
0: Okay, well, I feel like you shouldn't jump to conclusions, but <laughs> to shit back.
1: let's just hear how much. <clears throat> so at the time of the murders, uh, as I mentioned, they were living on the base. Jeffrey was an army physician uh, serving there, and Colette was pregnant with their first son. Uh, the couple had met in high school. They stayed together while Jeffrey attended medical school. There were no reports in his background um, or hers about any kind of suspicious activity or domestic situations. Um,
0: well, they seem like good parents, normal family. By all accounts, yeah.
1: So no red flags there. Um, Jeffrey, we'll talk about his uh, kind of idea of the scenario, his what he told police and what his side of it was. Um, so he claims that night that he had fallen asleep on the living room couch because Kristen had wet his side of the bed. So he went down there to sleep. Um, he was awakened by screams um, and then quickly attacked by three men during the attack.
0: It's always <laughs> three men, right? Somehow
1: that's the magic number.
0: Um, Imagine number three three scruffy men <laughs> broken.
1: <laughs> and then chaos.
0: I can't describe them or know what they look like. They were yes. men scruffy. <laughs> two, not two, not four. Not two, not four. Four's crazy. Three and criminal then- looking
1: individuals. Um, But there was a woman involved, he says. Um, He says he saw this woman standing nearby, so she was like in the vicinity, wearing high-heeled boots and a large white hat, fluffy, kind of floppy white hat. And she was holding a lit candle and chanting, acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Right? So it's kind of getting like a hippie vibe, 1970.
0: (laughs) He was saying it was like a a hippie, from like a movie, standing in the street corner, or potentially Daphne.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He did not mention if there was a scarf or uh, headband involved. Um, So he says, you know, he struggled with the attackers, was stabbed, eventually knocked unconscious. And that's, and then he somehow gets to the phone and then passes out.
0: Okay. Yeah, he makes a
1: 911 call which I don't have any details on that, but he was somehow able to say, you know, get over here, so. Uh,
0: get over here, Daphne from scooby
1: yeah. attacking me. Um, which he did not mention in the 911 call, but that's, you know, that's
0: okay, so. Yeah, I mean, that's a really forgettable detail.
1: <laughs> or the lit candle, I would be so concerned. Do we put that candle out? Where did this candle come
0: from? Did she leave? What was she chanting about I me mean, as I was being yeah. stabbed? Really, sort of noticed what footwear this random woman was. uh, Yeah, I
1: could completely understand everything that she was saying: "Acid is groovy, kill the pigs." While I'm being beaten, attacked, and eventually stabbed. So, interesting circumstances indeed. Uh, The Army's uh, Criminal Investigation Division did not believe Jeffrey's account. Um, The scene of the living room struggle had very little signs of disturbance. They even found fibers from Jeffrey's torn pajama top. Nowhere in the living room, but. They, they were under Colette's body and in the daughter's bedrooms. Ooh. Indicating that maybe struggle or something had happened there. Um, they also found the murder weapons in the backyard. It was a kitchen knife, an ice pick, and a three-foot-long piece of lumber. All of these were determined to have come from the Donald house. So these people did not bring, these, these supposed attackers did not bring these weapons. They showed up and decided to grab these things and attack the family.
0: Well, they were too busy at Bed Bath & Beyond getting candles and <laughs> fancy shoes.
1: Do you think the candle is scented?
0: Yes. Well, uh, I have a feeling it would be kind of seventy scent. So like a hefty floral scent, but with a little bit of like old cigarette smoke in it. <laughs> That's very specific. Like one of the candles you'd find now in a real super hipster store, but back then people would be like, oh, it smells like Muriel. <laughs> like a person, <laughs> like a faded brown house dress, Aunt Muriel. That's the, that's the scent they chose. Um, how she, chose yeah, how she chose her boots, I don't know. Maybe they went to like Ross next door to Bed Bath and Beyond and were like, "There we go. This is this is an outfit now."
1: Yeah, they were like, "I need these things. This is going to complete the attack." So. Uh, in, instead of what Jeffrey said, investigators believe that the murders had started in the master bedroom that night. They think that Jeffrey was angry that Kristen had brought the bed, argued with Colette, and began beating her first with his fist and then the piece of lumber. Uh, they also think that Kimberly walked in hearing the noise and McDonald hit her maybe by accident um, because there was definitely indication that the child had been in the room uh, with blood and brain found on the oh my door frame. God.
0: Oh, wait a second. So Kristen was the two-year-old, right? Right. So really in bedwetting territory. Um, oh my god! And they know what he used to hit the five-year-old with in the bedroom.
1: Yeah. So it was definitely a combination of kind of the three. We've got a clue thing going on here: the knife, the pickaxe, and the lumber.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking, like, I don't have any of those items in my bedroom, but right. maybe they had a different kind of marriage than mine.
1: <laughs> um, understandable. You know, I mean, maybe a piece of lumber from a project, but.
0: I don't know. I guess you whistle those no- lonely nights away.
1: So they think he uh, carried her back to the bedroom, and here's where it gets. So rough. Uh and then stabbed her in the neck eight to ten times.
0: A five year old.
1: Um, right.
0: Oh my god. That's just I mean it just makes me feel sick. I just I can't imagine doing that to like such a small baby. Such a small, precious baby. At five, they're still just teeny teeny, just fall asleep in your arms
1: she's just curious, being woke about the night, and goes to her parents' bedroom. So then, uh, get, you know, the police are speculating that he went to go finish off the other witness, which would be the two-year-old Kristen. Um, and so uh, they think, at this point, Colette, who is still alive but severely beaten, threw herself over Kristen to protect her. But Jeffrey killed them both, and then he carried Colette back to her bedroom um yeah
0: because I think every person in the world would do that you know what I mean when you're two and there's such a baby like that's your heart walking around outside of you and
1: and she's pregnant and she's still she's pregnant you know and she's
0: defending her baby and I just think like what a fucking shit bag to put her in that position but also like what a badass that she's fighting and trying to protect her kids like right until the la- until the last minute so, like, massive props to you, lady, and also you're a fucking shitbag. Yeah.
1: Um, they think uh, also that he tried to cover up the crimes. Um, one of the reasons is that he painted over the bed in Colette's blood, pig. And why they started to think, go down this road of this theory is because uh, there was an article on the Manson family murders, which sound very familiar, and it was an in an issue of Esquire that was in the family living room.
0: Right. So like he literally was like, oh, helter Skelter, eh? That's that's a thing that happens.
1: Yeah. Very similar, you know, it happens all the time. It could happen to this family.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, it happened obviously to Roman Polanski's family in LA. It could definitely happen on a military base in North Carolina. Same type of hippie culty people.
1: Spreading around the country. Um so the final report would show Colette had two broken arms, had been stabbed 21 times with an ice pick, 16 times with a knife. Kristen, the two-year-old, had been stabbed 33 times with a knife and 15 times with an ice pick.
0: So look, this is massive overkill here, right? Right. When you're talking about two break, Like, breaking the arm of an adult, like, two of her arms, and then that level of, like, violence on the children
1: the force to do that
0: absolutely like that and also that takes time we're not talking about somebody who kind of lashed out once and you know a chain of events somebody fell backwards and hit their head and we're talking about somebody who lashed out like multiple times over a protracted period of time with a ton of violence to each of his family members and then what stabbed himself
1: yeah so When he was found, he had just a few cuts and bruises, a concussion, and one stab wound, only one to his torso that was described as clean, small, and sharp.
0: Right, so he got like a butter knife and just went...
1: Yeah, they think maybe one of his scalpels from a medical kit or something that he had. And he knew where to... He's a doctor. He knows like where to hit to make it look kind of real, but not, you know, kill him, finish him off. Or maybe he did want to potentially, you know who knows what state he was in this was pretty you have to be pretty nuts to um for this amount of rage and anger or to go through with this even as a cover-up
0: right so they call these what types of people family annihilators right and i guess their motivation is what they snap like can we Say he had a stressful job, he was an army medic. That seems like the shittiest, hardest job in the world. Props to people that do that. And then he needed his sleep?
1: Maybe just the overall rage and... I mean, this would indicate like, did they, was this immediately following the fight over the wet bed? Was this just a buildup over time and he decides to enact his plan? I mean, it sounds kind of weird because it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. But then again, if he'd done this, there was a lot of time to cover up and stuff, I guess. So I'm kind of working out the timeline in my head.
0: Well, the other thing that's really interesting is that he has a full – he calms back down enough to come up with a full alibi plan. Okay, it's not the best one in the world. And it's based on a magazine that's on his coffee table, which, you know, he probably should have put that magazine in the trash. Um <laughs> But other than that, he does seem like he gets calm pretty quickly enough to like stab himself, make a fake nine one one call, lay about on the sofa. Yeah, it get multiple kind of weapons crazy. to make it look get like mu- weapons. Yeah,
1: multiple people have
0: oh, been them I mean, in the back garden too. Right,
1: right, and left the door open. I didn't mention that, but the door was kind of open. He left the door open, but all the lights in the house were off, which seems kind of weird
0: clean up he had to like dab dye pigs everywhere yeah i wonder if you had ptsd or anything like that from his military service
1: yeah they you know that one hadn't come come up in any of the uh research that i found but it's you know it's an older story and so it's totally possible no
0: yeah definitely i've i've been reading more and more about like tbi um which if you're listening and you don't know, is traumatic brain injuries and particularly injuring different parts of your brain, um, as well as, you know, the effects of PTSD and kind of traumatic instances on, on people and, and obviously commonly people that go into the military um, and lack of mental health awareness and mental health care for veterans in particular. Um, although, you know, there have been some famous cases of professional athletes, for instance, Chris Benoit, uh, who by all accounts, um, and we should totally do an episode of it, but by all accounts was like a fairly uh, normal person until right up until uh, the events towards the end of his life. Um, and then when, during his autopsy, they discovered like massive instances of TBI and brain injury and brain disease based on just the numerous concussions that um, he gained through WWE tragic. Yeah, definitely protect your heads, people. Uh, Then do really get yourself checked out and and read up about it. TBI is particularly dangerous. So, helmets, helmets, helmets.
1: Yeah, And have your loved ones look out for any change of behavior. Um, You know, anything that seems off. But yeah, he only spent a a week in the hospital for his injuries. Only a week. And then a month later, uh, they charged and arrested him for the murders.
0: Ba-ba-ba!
1: <clears throat> and there's a lot of detail in this story, more than I think we could cover in one podcast, but um, here's where we're getting to the trial. Um, so the defense pressed on the story that he had going. He never changed his story, that there was this hippie gang that had broken in and attacked and murdered the family. They presented a, a woman named Helena Stokely, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but um, she was supposedly the hippie woman in the corner with the candle. Wow. And yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of all the things you were going to say, I had I did not think that you were going to say that the hippie woman appeared at the trial.
1: Right. Well, so nobody could ever confirm this. They think he he never could say for sure that it was her face. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on with this Helena Stokely woman and her testimony, and I'll tell you why. It's because she'd been a long term drug addict who was always kind of found near the base. And um, she had uh, been on and off of heroin. And sometimes during the trial, she would say, yeah, I was there, but I was only witness. Sometimes she would say, I was part of the attack. Sometimes she would say, I've never been to the McDonald House and I was no part of this. So she was all over the place. He couldn't say for sure. He he couldn't pick her out of a lineup. They just found this woman near the base. She, she was a known hippie hanging around
0: It's a very suspicious testimony from a very unreliable witness who could have been led by either his defence attorney, particularly vulnerable for witness manipulation.
1: Yeah, and there are stories later that came out, uh, and there's actually been a couple of books and, and even a movie about this story that shows later they're discovering that on both sides, prosecution defense, there was bullying of this witness. People were desperate to get her to say one thing or the other, she's clearly all over the place. Um, She's even pretty ill. She's been a long-term drug user and so she's got a lot of health problems too. Um, So there's things that point to it, but then also we've got all kinds of things that don't and nothing is confirmed, nothing is, um, is, is able to rule out the kind of speculation about her involvement whether she was actually there ever or not. What
0: would her motivation be for doing that? I mean, I assume nothing was really stolen because she didn't mention anything like that. Like, if you're a drug addict and you're breaking into someone's house, I feel like you're looking for something you could easily sell or use to to buy drugs with.
1: They try to present that to kind of, and this is weird because, you know, usually it's kind of stick with one thing. It's the Manson thing. They're cult. They want to kill people, which seems very you know um, coincidental that it just happens to be this family and then the other one is that they were looking for drugs and they knew he was a doctor but the the stories were pretty weak and why would a doctor have drugs at his home?
0: It was the 70s though.
1: True. Like That's a now, good point.
0: There'd be no way a doctor would have drugs in his home and uh, that weren't prescribed by another prescribing physician. But in the 60s and 70s, I could totally imagine a doctor having a medicine cabinet full of goodies.
1: <laughs> That's a pretty risky. I mean, you're on an army base. You're not outside. You're on the army base in the base housing. And you're going to go kill a, or at least attack, break into a doctor's house and look for drugs and commit an occult murder while you're there.
0: There's, look, as we've discussed on this podcast before, I bet I'm barely motivated to like make myself a sandwich. I can't imagine the idea of being like of wanting or needing anything so badly that I would risk all of those things to do it. I think it's so tenuous because I'm a little bit like, did she even know he was a doctor? How did she know where he lived? It seems like that would require more planning than you would want to go through if you just wanted some drugs. It feels like it would be much easier to just rob any old house and then buy what you wanted
1: or a, uh, you know, a pharmacy where you're for sure
0: or a doctor's office.
1: But it's it's so weird like those those two things kind of are strange to me. It's like we're here for drugs but we also want to commit this occult murder.
0: Right, because they painted stuff on the walls in blood. They had Bed bath and we beyond candles. There was chanting. There was high heel boots. I mean, that seems like a lot for just like some street drugs. Maybe I'm overestimating. Under- yeah, have you ever
1: tried heroin? <laughs> I get the sense that you haven't, because you know, <laughs> nor have I. But I've heard it's pretty compelling.
0: I've heard it's Moorish. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But yeah, they don't bring any weapons. I mean, you know, I can understand if you thought maybe you could beat this guy up or something or get in get out undetected. But it seems strange if you wanted to commit the uh, occult murders that you wouldn't bring any weapons of your own. You would just hope to find something in the house. So, strange, strange stuff. So, the prosecution presented copious amounts of blood evidence and experts who testified that Jeffrey's account of events was, frankly, impossible, um, you know, from from the tears, from the placement of the bodies, from the sequence of events. Um, there was there was plenty to convince the jury um, to say that your story just doesn't add up. And when they asked him on the stand, um, please explain, you know, how these, how, how your story just doesn't add up. He did not have any explanation, which is fine, but it doesn't help him, right?
0: I kind of like when someone's just like, you know, they're a liar, they're not doubling down. They're like how do you explain all this when presented with the evidence? And they're like, I can't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like, sounds like your problem.
0: (laughs) Reasonable doubt, bitches. It's just a little bit like your family have been murdered. Your pregnant wife and your two young daughters. There were like creepy occult things happening. Stuff was painted on your walls. Nothing you say has made any sense. And now's your chance to set the record straight, clear your name. So everybody knows that you're not like this heinous murderer and you get up on the stand and they're like, how do you explain all of this blood evidence, DNA evidence, well, probably not DNA evidence, but blood evidence, all like foot, footprints and all this other stuff. And you're like, eh, don't know. <laughs> 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 oh, you can say it's like, I don't know. I got, I got no explanation for it. I hope he threw up a sentence. Oh." Yeah, it's like, oh, I was asleep on the couch, and then when I woke up, I had a stab mark, and my family were all gone. It's just like, oh, come on, like, get it together.
1: So not only all of this damning evidence that was presented, but the prosecutor's investigators also found out that he was having extramarital affairs.
0: <gasps> da, da, da! Of course he was. That's what I was saying before, like, it seems like a lot of rage, like, why would he flip out this way? And so I guess he wanted them out of the way, Chris Watt style.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that that shitbag is getting, like, is, is now the descriptor for that style of crime and disposal um, forever. I hope he becomes, like, John as, a, as another word for the toilet because that's where he belongs. Um,
0: so, He's a blanket this week.
1: Did I see what?
0: The Chris Watts blanket.
1: No, I didn't.
0: What is this? Okay, so on Amazon, they are selling a range of personalized Father's Day gifts, one of which was a blanket made out of a load of photos that says something like, love you, daddy, in the middle in a heart. It's like a beautiful quilt, something you get to for your uh, partner to celebrate your love and your wonderful children. Um, unfortunately, the product photos they chose on this blanket, were all photos of the Watts family. <gasps> How
1: do you think this was intentional?
0: I can only imagine having been a disgruntled low level employee. <laughs> that it was in fact a disgruntled low level employee. Oh my gosh! And I would imagine you, as an art manager, have probably either had this nightmare or have been scared of this art that man- this uh, nightmare on more than one occasion.
1: Exactly. That is uh, that is one hundred percent a stress nightmare that I wake up to on a regular basis. <laughs> that is pretty low. That's pretty low.
0: I mean, it's pretty low, and it's horrific. But I can't imagine it being done by accident. Right. There's like that was my first thought, yeah. Five or six photos like composed on this blanket with a big like daddy heart. They're all photos of the Watts family including that infamous photo of them on the front steps which I think was taken, you know, not so long before uh Chris annihilated his family because of his extramarital affairs. <sighs> Chilling. Just get a divorce. Right. I mean, but it's it's like if you if you were
1: capable of doing these things, are you just a ticking time bomb for something like this? Or is it truly that you're so, you just cannot deal with the situation. You cannot imagine. Is it family annihilation in, in these cases? Like they can't live without you or is it about the money? I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with the hassle.
0: I think it's, they don't want to deal with the hassle.
1: That's extreme.
0: Right. I I, I think in the case of, chris watts this is not the chris watts episode but let's talk about that shitbag. bag i think in his case he probably had like a really twisted image of himself as like the perfect father he was the perfect father he had this beautiful wife which he did he had these two beautiful girls son on the way and only he knew that he was in fact like massive total shitbag. bag And as his, like, shitbag world and, you know, carefully built narcissist temple started to converge, he probably just panicked. I mean, even when you see that stuff, like, his parents, like, his parents were all like, oh, we believe Chris's story that it was the wife who killed the kids and he just covered it up by putting our grandchildren in an oil well. And you're like, well, you can kind of see where Chris Watts got some of his, like... Delusions. Yeah, narcissistic kind of Chris could do nothing wrong type ego. No offence to the Chris Watts family. Actually, massive offence to you because I think the idea that Chris and his family try to blame, by all accounts, a loving mother who... Was pregnant for this incredibly disgusting crime. And you know, like now, like his girlfriend is like living under an assumed identity and all that stuff. I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced Chris Watts was just like, people will find out I'm a shitbag. So I must cover up the fact that I'm a shitbag, but I still want to, I want to have it all. I want people to think I'm not a shitbag. I want to not have to deal with like giving alimony and looking after my children because they don't fit into my new perfect temple that i'm building and i want not literal temple but temple to my own ego and narcissism and i want to be able to run off into the sunshine with my new girlfriend and i think he thought the only way he could do that was by like getting rid of his family and then going on the news and having lines of attention and like oh look at chris he's coping so well what an amazing dad uh when of course he was obviously just a massive shitbag
1: it's just so strange. I'll have to read up more on this um, because it's so strange to me that it's not, hey, maybe I could get away with robbing a bank, getting a divorce, and then just secretly stowing away some money. I'll go about my way and I don't have to kill my children, And even if I hate my wife. Not saying that that was his motive, but you know what I mean? It's like, no, I, I think I can get away with murdering the entire family and I want to go down this route. It's like-
0: Yeah, It's it's the idea that you're such a narcissist that, one, the idea of you getting a divorce or being found out for being a cheater is unacceptable to you, that, you, that absolutely can't happen and nobody can find that out. And then, two, you're also such a narcissist that you believe that you can get away with murder, that like this guy was a respected doctor, a military respected doctor. I bet you no one ever questioned him, ever. Right. I bet he went to work and I bet like you probably get some awesome rank if you're a doctor I don't know how military stuff works sorry all people it's in the okay. <laughs> 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 vice admiral but no you probably get like some rank or honorary rank which means that you can like order people about because you would need to and I bet that made him feel like he could do anything and that people would trust him and that he could say anything and people would believe him and like let's be real like he probably could but this was probably the only time and even then it, it kind of isn't really working where people doubted what he said when he said it.
1: It's very interesting that you say that because um, part of during this whole like long trial and I, I have to find the timeline on this exactly but there was a point where when he's out, he goes on like a talk show because of all this wild. Like, it's getting national attention.
0: What, like he goes on Maury
1: Povich, <laughs> like um, like the Tonight Show or something. What?
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, and he's super weird, and everyone's like, "This guy, like, he's just v- very bizarre acting about the whole thing." He's trying to be like funny and charming on the show. And really what it is, is people are like, hey, this thing happened to you, this is national news, you know, um, like let's talk about that. And he's like trying to be Mr. Celebrity Star. And even my, so my mom was living in Fayetteville, which is very close to this Fort Bragg location at the time of this. And she remembers seeing this stuff unfolding and everyone's just like, kind of like you were saying about Hastings where you're like, yeah, that guy did it. Everyone in the town's like, this guy's weird. Like, what is this guy doing? why is he being so emotionally strange and smug so that did not help him at all
0: was he hot
1: he was somewhat of i think definitely what people would consider good looking at the time
0: yeah. it's hard for me
1: to look at this guy because i knew when i looked at pictures at him it was hard to
0: but i definitely awesome. could see something like a 70s man yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know 70s male fashion not always my favorite
1: Probably helped out by the army uniform, but
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Wearing like a bell
1: bottom suit,
0: like flared yeah. leg. It's not, it, it's not the most like vintage, hotty. You know, you get the little shorts and the the front rugs, and it's just not not my aesthetic. But yeah, I think
1: he <laughs> thought he was the shit, man. I think he thought he was.
0: I, I just I can imagine this guy thinking he was the absolute shit in his stupid 70s moustache or whatever the fuck he had. I think because the army, they, I don't think he had a moustache. Oh, he <laughs> not have moustaches in the army.
1: I don't think at that time, maybe. I'm gonna have to look that up and get back to you on one of the future podcasts, but he did not have a moustache.
0: I must admit, I literally only really know about two army eras based on video games that I've worked on. One being kind of World War Two era-ish, and the other being kind of jarhead era-ish. <laughs> so if you like, were ever either not like a uh, skinny, frontline English troop or weren't a literal jarhead, I really don't understand how the military works in any way, shape, or form.
1: It's true. I saw a lot. I saw um, They Shall Not Grow Old. There were a lot of very thin, older men with mustaches. Um, and a lot of very young, baby face boys without mustaches. So. I
0: know it's the worst. If you've um, what is that movie with the running and the running and the running and the World War and the Colin Farrells?
1: Nineteen
0: by Colin Farrell. I mean Colin first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I think Benedict is in that one too, right? It's like Benedict it's a in that one, yeah. Is it like nineteen something? Yeah, it is. Um, we'll <laughs> 1912 I don't know 1912 <laughs> no of course not 1939 I don't know I don't even know what war it is in <laughs> 1917 1917 I knew
1: I didn't want to say 1970 because I was like that's not right but no we're it was... talking
0: about 1970 yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So it was family in the First World War. Right. Which, of course it was, because there were no Nazis in it. (laughs) 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 It's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back.
1: All right. We're there. We're all cut up. Okay, so here's the thing. In August 1980, this trial went on for nine years.
0: Yeah, I was like, that's a whole other decade of unattractive male fashion.
1: Okay, so long, long, long trial, but the jury didn't buy it either, and they convicted him of the murders of his wife and two daughters. The judge gave him three life sentences to be served consecutively.
0: Yay! Yay!
1: But he appealed his conviction on the basis that, you know, his right to a speedy trial had been violated. Kinda, but I also don't care about him.
0: That is definitely not a speedy trial, nine years. But why was it nine years? Was, was If it was his defense, like, sending a load of shit in, then...
1: Exactly. There was a lot going on with this. There was a lot of evidence, trying to get the witnesses, who were very hard to find, track down, and get to commit. And he initially won this appeal, and he was freed. What? Yeah. He returned to practicing medicine. He went to Long Beach, California,
0: Oh my and god, can you imagine being one of his patients?
1: Yeah. <laughs> because everybody knows who he is. He's been on the TV.
0: He's just like, oh, I just oh, I got a new GP. He seems nice. And then he's like a murderer.
1: He took up with another woman. He's, you know, got a girlfriend. I think he eventually married her. But then so he's living out, you know, the California dream life here. But within that same year, the courts overturned that appeal and he was returned to prison and his three life sentences were reinstated so in and out and then back in again which i remember when i read um about this thinking that's kind of gotta suck i mean he's a shitbag who deserves it but there's like i'm free and then you're right back in
0: again like a few months later i just can't believe the cojones on this guy can you imagine like you murder your family you go into jail for nine years and then you get out on a technicality and you're like i'm gonna practice medicine again
1: well, I yeah, I think because this is the kind of guy, right? He's a narcissist, so he's like, I gotta go back to my my position where people respect me and do what I say, and I can be, you know, a jerk if I want to and order people around. He wasn't in the military at that point, obviously, but
0: um, <laughs> he was just a bad doctor at this point. He was just a <laughs> bad. He was just a mean doctor. He was that mean doctor, the one that uh, that puts medicine in your ear. Yeah, and the cold, um... cold stethoscope.
1: Yes, stethoscope, exactly. So, <laughs> Oh gosh, so i first come across this story because um, there was a book published in 2012 and it's called A Wilderness of Error by Errol Morris, who is an amazing uh, documentary filmmaker. Um, but he did this book and there's so many more details and honestly it does show how the police Investigation was pretty grossly mishandled. There was uh, misconduct by both defense and prosecution. Um, I feel like, you know, we always talk about our kind of take on the cases and stuff, but none of it convinced me entirely that he wasn't guilty. But I will say if this case came to trial now, I think there would be enough to say, hey, you guys fucked up and he would get off, you know, entirely. So um, there's stuff like, You know, the military police, which I can't imagine, had a lot of experience dealing with these kind of crimes on base. And they've got people of all different um, training levels. And they said just, you know, everyone showed up because it was such a, a, a big deal. And so they've got, like, tens of people walking in and out of the crime scene. It's not cordoned off properly. There's footprints everywhere. Even people, like, if the plant was knocked over, somebody put it right. And then they were like, well, did you fix that? And then they knocked it back over so they could take the pictures of how it was before.
0: So kind of like the John Benet case, didn't cordon off the scene properly, they didn't do a decent enough search. Exactly, exactly. They contaminated all the evidence.
1: And then the prosecutors were so hell-bent on getting Helena to tell the right story. um, I think they were, you know, bullying her and trying to get this story out of her. And she's like, I'm sick, I'm dope sick, I'm all over the place. And but they're putting a lot of pressure on her um, to, to rat out her friends and to take the stand. And and so there's just a lot of, of uh, misconduct in this case overall. And it's been going on for 50 years. He's still, he's still in jail, prison, I guess, more accurately, probably not sitting in the county jail. He's still in prison and claiming his innocence trying to appeal and all the time bringing up like new evidence. As DNA uh, becomes, the, the testing gets more and more advanced. He's like, try this, try that. Nothing has been conclusive to let him out or to overturn his conviction yet. Um, they did try to, uh, supposedly there were all these testimonies from people Helena Stockley uh, she confessed to, or she said these people confessed to these people, but nothing's been conclusive at all. So um, he is still serving his life sentences for the murders of his wife, his pregnant wife and his two children.
0: That's so crazy. I was going to say the parallels to Chris Watts are, are pretty compelling. I mean, his wife was pregnant. He had two girls, tried to cover it up, tried to blame other people. Chris Watts also appeared on the television, had a mistress lined up and ready
1: yeah, I was going to say some similarities too to the Hastings case, the the Billy Joe Jenkins.
0: Well, Sean Jenkins, I was just thinking about obviously Sean Jenkins has had his conviction overturned. Um, lawyers, uh, but I was just thinking how interesting it was when we start to talk about some of the evidence. So in the Sean Jenkins case, really a large amount of the case hinged around this blood evidence, blood splatter, and also some fiber evidence. And again, here we've got kind of blood evidence and fibre evidence, but we've got a very disturbed crime scene. Um, So I can totally see how, in both cases, the actual physical evidence of the crime is pretty weak. And I suspect in the 70s, like nowadays, we'd be able to pick up more than we could um, in the 70s, and and maybe it would have been kind of a stronger conviction. But I, I can definitely see why most of this sounds like pretty circumstantial. Because you can't take into account the idea that like, he was stressed, he was having an affair. You can put it towards motive, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything.
1: Right, yeah. Um, they. I think at the time they only had blood typing um, and they knew that each, um, it was a weird anomaly that each of the four people in the house had all different blood types. Oh, wow. They showed that um, there were only four people who bled in the house. And so during an entire struggle like that and you're stabbing with the amount of stabbing um you would imagine that there'd be at least something i mean that's not definitive either but that was all that they had at the time around uh like the typing they couldn't say like for sure but they were able to tell um no one else's blood was there Um, so if they had new some techniques or something but they also then eventually were able to do some hair testing on additional fibers as as techniques developed and they they could not find that definitely said that there were other people in the house as well or other people's hairs that were found embedded into the blood evidence or crime scene, um, which is pretty telling because again, you think there's gotta be some sign of another person being here.
0: Well, I'm not a murderer, but I am a pragmatist, And I would feel like I would want to neutralize the most pressing threat first. Right it seems weird that you would use so much violence on the three women in the house and by women obviously two were babies yeah. and yet you would just very lightly injure the man almost think that you would want to make absolutely 100 percent sure and according to his timeline they knocked him out first So they like lightly knocked him out and kind of stabbed him a little bit tinily in the chest, but then went hog wild tens of times upstairs over like a longish protracted period of time. It just doesn't make logistical sense.
1: No, even if you were trying to copy the Tate Bianca murders or anything like that, um, there were men involved in those slings too. And and it's not like they were treated with, I mean, that's not really like a, a damning, know, evidence or anything but it just doesn't add up that you would be so light and then express so much force and exertion on children and the woman
0: right it doesn't yeah like I said if I was executive producing this home invasion I feel like you would have put more emphasis on kind of neutralizing him as a major threat
1: yeah, especially he's an army guy. You're a right. hippie. He's a doctor who supposedly denied you of drugs.
0: And you would also want to be very cautious because he could have guns in the house. He must have had a service rifle or pistol again. Sorry, military people everywhere. But like I, I would feel like at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, the likelihood of somebody who was like active military duty having some kind of firearm would be high. And so you'd want to try and neutralize him just in case he woke up and like grabbed a gun or something. Yeah, absolutely. So that's not
1: quite adding up. All right. So that's the Jeffrey McDonald family murder story.
0: There were less hand burglars than I thought there were gonna be, and more actual potential burglars. And, or maybe no burglars at all.
1: That's correct. No clowns. No hamburglers.
0: Do we think clowns are scarier than hamburglers?
1: <clears throat> well. Yeah, I kind of think the dead eyes, the smile, that's like I mean, it's basically the same thing, right? It's kind of the same thing as a clown in a way. But it's like a mascot that you can't see its true face. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so let me ask you this. In this scenario, is the clown the real a real person and the hamburglar is like an alien that's come from another dimension of hamburglers? It's like a creature.
0: I think you're getting grimace and the Hamburglar muddle up.
1: Is the ha- so the Hamburglar is a real person that just...
0: Hamburglar is, is, well, I mean, it's hard to have a semantic conversation about the Hamburglar. I believe the Hamburglar <laughs> is a human dressed in black and white stripes like a burglar.
1: Okay. Because if it's like a quiet place demon thing that comes out and like can sniff hamburgers and then kills you for your hamburger, that so is terrifying.
0: That's the Burger King. Okay. <laughs>
1: You're right. My mistake. My mistake. Uh, a simple one. Um, then yes, in that one, I think clowns are more scary. Okay. Is this about this clown thing that's come up? This Florida clown?
0: No, I was thinking. I was thinking about John Wayne Gacy. Ah. Clown stuff. And then Hamburglar. I don't know. I just. I really like. The idea of of cartoon burglars. So like it, cartoon burglars just make me laugh like the black and white stripes the little bag that says swag on it or has like a little dollar symbol on it the little like bandit things over their eyes the little raccoons that look like little fluffy burglars I just think that's adorable
1: I, I never got why they dressed like they were already incarcerated
0: I know that's why
1: they were doing that.
0: it's just like why would you dress? Like, why would you put a thief outfit on to go th- <laughs> <laughs> Again, if I was executive producing that, like if I was some kind of Fagin with my band of orphans, see, Fagin had the right idea. He, he dressed them as orphans. Not at, well, they were orphans, obviously, but he kind of left them in their regular clothes. He didn't dress them up as thieves or like ninjas. He was like, just go out and pretend to be like a cute orphan who needs stuff and then you can steal stuff. Fagin knew what was up. I'm
1: starting to get a little concerned that our podcast message is going to get muddled because we're kind of like, hey, these crimes, they're fascinating, but they're dark. But we're also saying, like, here's how to here's how to do it the right way.
0: I think that's our personality types. <laughs> we're natural organizers and leaders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: no, 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 you dummy. Like,
0: we'll don't do it that way. You want to hold the knife at the top so you get a lot of leverage. It's New- Newtonian mechanics peasant. Yeah. You <laughs> use the power of gravity. And then she
1: yelled out, "It's Newtonian physics, you peasant."
0: I rest my case. <laughs> All right, everybody out there, remember to do all the stuff that we like you to do. So like, rate, subscribe, connect with us at darkfascination.com and to all of our social channels. Join our Facebook page, like us on Instagram. We'll put a picture of this guy up there so you can decide whether or not you think he's A, 70s hot, B, regular hot, C, not hot at all, D, hot but not your cup of tea again send us any stories anything you want to say give us some feedback we'll definitely definitely listen to it if it's negative we will almost certainly cry about it uh it's really worth it if you just want to hurt two people's feelings stay safe, stay safe. don't get annihilated by your husband or other spouse of any kind it's bad times and if you do have some sort of traumatic brain injury see a doctor bye, bye.